Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode has been brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th of 2022 in Verona, Italy. This year will be an exclusively in-person edition. The main theme of the event will be all-round wine communication. Tickets are on sale now, so for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. Thanks for tuning in to Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People on the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Steve Ray, your host, and this podcast features interviews with the people actually making a difference in the Italian wine market in America, their experiences, challenges, and personal stories. And I'll be adding a practical focus to the conversation based on my 30 years in the business. So if you're interested in not just learning how, but also how else, then this pod is for you. Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. I'm your host, Steve Ray, and my guest this week is Christina Mercuri from uh, Italy, of all places. Christine, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. You know, you and I met uh, when you gave a presentation at Vin Italy last spring on Prosecco, and I had I've been to Prosecco. I've tasted a lot learned a lot, and I, I learned a ton more in your presentation. Um, so tell me a little bit about what you do and what your mission in life is with uh, Wine Club, wine-club.it. Well, um, actually, yes, I'm very glad to hear that you enjoyed my, my masterclass, my presentation, and this is one of my activities. So I'm a wine educator, I'm a presenter, so I... I founded the wine uh, club that is actually quite an innovative uh, academy because I want to build uh, something that is quite uh, unique. And I know it will uh, take a lot of time, but uh, I just started, so I have uh, plenty of time. Apart from that, I'm in the wine industry not for a long time because I started actually in 2015. As you know, maybe, I don't know if, if I told you, but I was a lawyer. So I changed my entire life to follow my passion because I really wanted to teach people because I enjoy uh, feeling the people mindset changing and getting more involved and interested in wine. So I decided to change entirely my life. And now I am a master wine student at stage two. I'm very, very happy about my my career now. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I didn't know that you were an attorney. That That was a major change. I'm sure it had some impact on economics <laughs> and earnings. Indeed. <laughs> it must have been a powerful motivation. Tell us more about you know, what it takes to change an entire, I mean, you spent eight years going to college and, and law school and then changed it. Yeah, it's it's quite a, a big challenge, but it teaches also something about uh, what you really uh, want and what you really can do in order to achieve uh, your um, your mission, your goal, and when there's something very big inside yourself and you say, no, this is the right way to do it my, my life, to, to go on with my life, then you, you find somewhere the, the force. You don't find money, but you find the force. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, the the old joke in the industry, we've all heard it, is if you want to make a small fortune in the wine industry, start with a large fortune. I think it's true. Uh, we found it here, too. I mean, as as I think about it in the U.S., the money's in spirits, not in wine. The, and, and spirits is fun, too. I'm just back from a, a conference in New Orleans. It was all spirits all week, uh, pretty heavy duty. And... Um, but there's a, a little magic or romance uh, about wine. So let's take that more from an academic point of view. You said you're studying for your MW. You just took, uh, I guess, a second. What was the level that you just took the test for? So I, I've done the test for the exam uh, for the stage two. So uh, results will, will, will come at the end of October. So uh, we, we will uh, we'll hope what, why the MW? What do you uh, want to accomplish with that? And how w will you use that? Well, you know, it's the most uh, authoritative uh, title in the wine industry. And uh, I'm very, very ambitious as a woman. And I always had a high uh, aspiration for myself. And when uh, the first time that I discovered the MW, I said that to myself, okay, I want that. I want to become an MW. And for the very beginning, I started with the more uh, um, simple and basic wine courses. Then uh, I started with the WCP. Then I got my diploma. And uh, the very following day when I discovered I passed and I got my diploma, I applied for the Master of Wine program. Okay. So you do uh, education, master classes, all that kind of stuff. I had the opportunity to experience one that you gave uh, on Prosecco. Given the level of... Uh, preparation and study that is needed for MW and your enjoyment of educating. Had you thought about going to the more traditional education route, being a teacher of wine in the wine business at universities as opposed to being in the commercial side of it? I think the Master of Wine gave um, uh, a really wide uh, brief on the wine industry in general from the more uh, academic stuff also viticulture also winemaking but also the, the commercial and i think the approach that i understood from studying in the mw program is a little bit more uh, commercial so it's uh, really something that can add value on my career in order to help the industry to promote better their wines to promote the import of uh, foreign wines into Italy because there is quite a uh, difficulty since we are a big producer we focus a lot on Italian wine so I want to give a, um, to, I want to change it in the in the long term and also I think becoming IMW will give value of Italian wines into the world so it can be a double commitment so as you said, is more on the commercial side, in my point of view, becoming MW. Okay. Uh, one of the things that um, the, the host of the whole Italian Wine podcast, Stevie Kim, and, and her operation is Vanitaly International Academy. Can you, you give us a point of uh, a view on VIA and relate it to MW? Obviously, the two are different, but you talk about who does it, who takes it, why, how they use it, one versus the other. I think they are quite different, but in a certain way, VIA is quite something that is unique and is very important for the Italian wine industry because the, um, there are courses uh, in order to become expert of Italian wine, but the majority of students, even though maybe also the, to the totality of students, uh, are not 
from Italy. So the subject and the scope is to promote and to understand what is beyond the label of an Italian wine in order to spread the culture of Italian wine into the world. On the other side, the Mastro wine is more generic, is more wide, is really understanding all the wines of the world. So it's something that can can be bigger than uh, Via, of course, and also it's focusing on different people because of the, the people that are, as, as far as I know, people that are getting the, the Via are, yes, very much expert indeed, and they want to achieve an additional knowledge on Italian wine. On the other side, the, the MW is for uh, professionals in wine. They want to achieve a title that gives authority in the wine industry as a whole. Okay. Let's uh, talk a little bit about, um, you talked about education and the uh, sessions and seminars and so forth that you give. What, what is the majority of your business? Is it master classes for different groups? And if so, what groups and, and how do they find you? How do they engage you? I provide for different uh, uh, kind of courses and master classes from the the easiest wine tasting classes uh, or courses uh, up to sommelier courses, WSCT courses, uh, masterclass, uh, and the audience can be both uh, professional, so the trade, and also consumer. So it really depends on the subject of the course of the masterclass and the and the scope of the course. You know, in Italy there is not a real understanding of what's the difference, for instance, between sommelier courses and WST courses. That is quite a huge difference. But in my academy, the, the point is um, penetrate and uh, arrive to a larger amount of uh, consumers in order to create a community that is uh, day by day more and more growing and uh, more and more uh, focused on what is uh, wine culture, wine science, wine service, all these aspects are very important. But my point is, first, I have to get the students. Then I can educate the students on what is the best solution for the person. So I provide also courses that are a little bit tailor-made on the, on the need of the student. I get them by social media mainly. So I promote my courses on uh, on Facebook, uh, Instagram. I also deal with uh, uh, consorci or uh, wineries. So in this case, uh, it's more easy not to, to get people. Uh, in some cases, it's also a staff training. So depending on the need of the specific uh, winery or uh, company, I provide uh, a tailor-made education. So I, I provide for a lot of different kind of courses in order to give the the best to to each of my clients. Okay. So in the US, I know a bunch of people, not a bunch, I know several people who are doing what I would call corporate work. And by that, I mean a lot of the big banks and money management companies and uh, consulting companies like McKinsey will train their staff by hiring experts so that they become familiar with wine because their clientele is going to be that much as is true of golf, very similar thing, client entertaining and so forth. Plus, it's it's it probably pays better than um, just a, a local uh, local class. 
And then the other piece of that would be being a paid advocate, brand ambassador, however you want to describe it, for a given consortio or uh, region or entity. Do you do either of those two things? I do the both, yeah. yeah. I, I, I try to uh, work with both uh, consortia or uh, wineries or company. And also, it depends on the kind of course I, I deliver. So, for instance, in the case that you said about the consultancy uh, company that hire professional for educating in the, in the wine business, I do that. I do team building, for instance. This is more entertaining, no? It's informative, but also fun. Or on the other side, I need to be more technical, more specific, more deep into the, 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 the technical detail in order to provide for a, a more wine science education. I also do some wine business courses because, you know, in Italy, there are full of very small wineries that made basically they know how to grow vineyards, how to make wine. They don't know how to sell wine or promote wine. So I do courses based on the basics of the wine business, how to export, how to create a label, how to promote a brand. So it depends on, on how big you are and what are your... Yeah, well, that, that hits very close to home. As you know, I wrote a book. That's where the title of this comes from, get, How to Get U.S. Market Ready. And, and my experience has been let's say it is a major challenge to educate individual wineries that are, think of them as farmers or agriculturalists first, as opposed to commercial wine companies. And often I find people tend to make the same mistakes that other people have made before them, usually again for the first time. It seems like they want to come to the U.S. and and think that they can just sell there. The U.S. is obviously a very different market than what's required to sell in Italy. How successful have you been in educating them on the realities, the challenges, and the likelihood of success? for exporting to the U.S. market? It's very difficult to say because in some cases, people are very open to understand and make some change. On the other side, they um, they listen to you. They say, okay, but then it's difficult to change an habit. So mm, my focus is to give a course to give education to give a consultant but it's not to I'm, I'm not their mom so at the end of the decision on how to run a business is not mine so the the challenge that i see for a lot of producers is they're not educated and they're certainly not certified so that when they do have the opportunity to talk to a prospective importer and or distributor they tend not to talk about the things that are important to the person they're trying to sell to. They're talking all about how wonderful their wine is. Now their grandfather founded the winery or it was a mixed-use farm after World War II. We've heard many of those stories. The challenge I find is to get them to sell themselves or offer themselves up as a solution to a problem or a business challenge that these people are facing, whether it's a hole in the portfolio or an opportunity to create a hole in the portfolio for categories that maybe don't exist in the portfolio. I use Sagrantina de Montefalco as an example, and most people don't have it, yet it is a thing. It's also a tough one to sell. My experience in trying to teach people value 
oriented selling has been poor, even though I keep trying to do it and, and I do it in a lot of places. Webinars at varying various conferences. I do a lecture at University of Bologna, but mostly I've failed. <laughs> that's not encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly the point, right? I keep doing it. You know, who is it? Albert Einstein's definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. But I do. I try and I you know, educate. And I go through all this and I've got all these presentations and worksheets and tools and things that I, I give away for free. And yet, most of the importers and distributors I talk to will say, no, I'm not interested in talking to whoever it is you're putting in front of me. And generally, the reason is because they're not ready for the U.S. market, not ready for prime time. They don't understand the marketplace, and the importers and distributors don't want to invest the time in educating one, ten, ten thousand, a hundred thousand individual producers. So what is the solution for some of these smaller guys? Or let's use as an example, say, uh, a co-op. And I'll just pick one at random that I'm impressed by as regards to the wine, Costoza. Been to a bunch of wineries there. I think the wine is great. Um, it's what everybody drinks when, when you're there. Doesn't have much presence in the export markets, and yet it's an extraordinarily food-friendly wine and represents something unique and different than what's in the U.S. How would a co-op go about establishing awareness in the United States for their type of wine? Well, actually, uh, probably VIA is doing a great job in um, creating a community of uh, wine, Italian wine experts. Probably there is also something that uh, is encouraging. Uh, I think that the younger generation are a little bit different than uh, their father or grandfather. So they are a little bit more conscious that uh, they cannot do everything by themselves and they need people that are uh, there to help because they are uh, professionals. So I, I don't have a solution to this question, but I think that, uh, again, educating younger generation, uh, trying to also uh, promote one uh, as a category. So working with the consortium, working with the parties that are bigger and can promote regional wines in uh, events uh, or uh, in, uh, uh, I don't know, also webinar or tastings. Uh, there are many, many solutions in order to try to penetrate uh, a new a new business, a new country can be uh, a starting point. I don't know how long does it take because, you know, um, it's not a very easy job. <laughs> Maybe can be can be something that to, to, to start with. One of the things we talked about is something that's very dear to my heart and has to do with the lexicon, the words that are used. And obviously, we're speaking in English, and your English is great, by the way. Thank you. I'm sure your Italian is, is even better. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> One of the uh, issues that's come up in the U.S. that has really created some controversy is the concept of clean wine. The actress Cameron Diaz came out with the wine and she started talking about clean wine, does not have any definition um, based on regulations by the TTB. And by definition, it kind of mispositions or dispositions everything else as unclean wine. I thought it was brilliant, but it's also very nonspecific. I think in the, in the science of it, clean wine has some meanings in terms of bacterial content and all that kind of stuff. 
But that's not what she means there. I think what she means is, you know, organic, better for you, all that kind of stuff. But it has no definition. Talk about some of the words that we use and that resonate with consumers in America that you've found or internationally that work. Words that work. Are you enjoying this podcast? Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond, meeting winemakers, eating local foods, and taking in the scenery. Now, back to the show. Ah, this is quite a, a complex question because, you know, I have also an idea of what is a clean wine, and uh, uh, the first uh, the first time I read about that, I said it, it depends. I mean, it, it, a clean wine in the term of uh, uh, purity of fruit, in the terms of uh, clarity at uh, sight, in the terms of uh, absence of uh, bacteria. So this is the opposite of. Uh, the definition that I googled <laughs> last time because I said, okay, what do they mean actually? And they wanted a, a clean wine in terms of no addition and no additive. So it's difficult to find a real term that works. But in the, in, in, during my study, during my MW study, I'm focusing more and more on trying to find a more and more appropriate vocabulary when I want to describe a wine. So I think that, uh, yes, the, this process, this program is helping me finding something that is objective. So the words that can work in this, uh, in this, in this business. Okay. So uh, you're talking sugar, texture, acidity, body. Um, those are terms that mean a lot to people in the industry because we're able to kind of uh, deconstruct a given wine and go through this tasting on the nose, on the palate, and then the finish and so forth. Most people, though, don't taste wine that way, and they don't use those terms. And to a large degree in America, we've been jaded by the words, the very flowery, if I can use that word, very flowery words used by a lot of critics, to the point that a lot of Americans think if they don't say something like, oh, essence of you know fried ginger or sautéed gooseberries or something like that, that they're not giving an accurate description. Well, I don't know what sautéed ginger tastes like, or I never even seen a gooseberry, so I don't know what it tastes like or smells like. How do you get people to articulate or understand things in words that they understand? And one of the things you told me was you do use stories a lot and, and reference things like fruits and so forth. And also, I I try to to describe a wine according to the audience that I have in front of me. Give me an example. For instance, there is a very basic audience in front of me. I try to interact with them and try to make a sort of similarity or reference or I work for imaging. So I try to say, okay, taste the wine. How is the, the shape of the wine in your mouth? Is like something that is very narrow and vertical or is something that is round like a bowl in your mouth is something that is uh, easy to to diet to to drink or is something that is uh, remain a lot in your palate and then i 
try to understand the answer and then I try to um, focus a little bit more on something that is more specific, for instance. Okay, now that we understood that the wine is quite bold in the mouth, let's focus on your mouth watering. Is your mouth really watering or is quite dry now? And then I try to understand uh, what they what they what they can answer in order to see okay this wine has this characteristic so this wine is a full body wine with uh, high alcohol and is maybe perfect uh, paired with uh, meat because it's uh, full of tannins and you see no the the palate the mouth the the your tongue that is working with this sensation of astringency so working with the palate and uh, giving imagine starting with this reference for uh, images can help be really helpful for people that is novice completely novice to this business on the other side if i work with uh, people that are more professional i try not to be very flowery as uh, as you told before talking about aromas i talk with the cluster okay big cluster but now i focus on okay is it fresh is it ripe is it overripe and then i focus immediately on the palate because the palate is something that uh, will everybody has while the nose is more personal and subjective so i cannot taste very easily pepper for instance syrah smells like pepper black pepper to me is difficult so i have to find something else to describe syrah because pepper is not a market for me so i go for the texture of the tannins are they juicy or are they uh, drying are they uh, focusing on the middle of the tongue or are they broad arriving and mouth filling my and covering my my mouth mouth coating so i i need to focus on the palate because the wine inside your palate uh, behave in the same time as my palate so i can be more precise in order to bring a message to my to my audience okay well let's take that to a practical level um and i get asked this all the time and you, you go to a restaurant you sit down at the table somebody hands you the wine list and a lot of people kind of like <laughs> now what do I do? I don't I don't understand it. I don't know any of the names. I don't understand the organization. If you're talking to say these corporate types, you know, investment bankers or something else who often would be the host and be the ones ordering the wine. How should they approach uh, ordering wine in restaurants? Well, first look at the look at the wine list look at the prices look at the, the if there are more information about the which is the grape variety which is the regional origin if you are not familiar with ask to the staff so in this case that's why i focus a lot on staff training because if your staff is trained it is it's the person is the perfect person that can help someone choosing the wine so it, it's really the influencer in the restaurants that can make a really big difference in the turnover uh, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a restaurant so it is not easy for someone that is novice even though there are many many possibilities now with technology now so you can google the name of the wine and there are a lot of uh, notes and tasting notes in order to understand it but you don't have an entire evening to to decide which wine to order so (laughs) 
or you get a basic wine education and then you go to a restaurant and you can understand a little bit the main styles of a wine or I think the staff can be really the influencer of the of the restaurants. Interesting. Yeah, I where I was originally going is um, we're seeing uh, I've been seeing a lot of uh, different ways of organizing wine lists and some of them recently by body and you know weight as opposed to flavor or country of origin or varietal. I think that that's a noble thought but I don't think it it works for most of the people that at least I'm sitting with at the table. They're always happy to say, no, Steve, you order, because I have a pretty good idea of, of what I'm doing. But for most people, it's kind of a, 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 a scary thing. They don't want to make the wrong choice when there is no, really, there is no wrong choice. There's no value judgment, and yet there's all this emotional baggage associated with choosing the wine and being able to pronounce it, which it's tougher with French wines than it is Italian wines, but it's it's still there, you know. Um, it's still there and also uh, it's frightening because if you are in a table with a lot of people, you want to make everybody happy. So... <laughs> well, Prosecco, right? I mean, everybody likes Prosecco. <laughs> yes. Actually, uh, one of my thoughts on Prosecco, uh, when I'm thinking back at the presentation you made, is one of the reasons why it's become so popular is it's an easy choice. It's one everyone recognizes. Generally, what's sold here in the U.S. is um, extra dry, not necessarily brut. La Crema, which is probably the most popular brand, is I think 12 or 13 grams of residual sugar. And it's an easy thing to say at that moment of pressure when somebody says, can I get you something to drink without knowing what anybody's going to offer for food. So it's a nice way of getting, okay, instead of cocktails, we'll have a bottle of Prosecco and everybody will drink it. You make that assumption. I've seen a thousand other reasons why Prosecco has become more popular, but I think that's a really compelling one, almost to the point of uh, the role Pinot Grigio has played in the past. It's a simple thing. It's not um, uh, a polarizing wine, and it's one that's easy for everybody to understand. Let, let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, I did an interview with uh, Deborah Brenner, who heads up the uh, um, Women of the Vine and Women of the Mind and Spirits now, and the whole concept of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion has become a very clear and present thing in, in our discourse. Um, are you finding the same thing happening in Italy, and how does that uh, apply to the wine industry? So in Italy, I am a woman in the wine industry. I see the, the same male domination that is uh, slowly changing very slowly. So, for instance, in Italy, we have uh, Associazione Donne del Vino that is promoting uh, um, this kind of culture, the diversity. And um, But, again, it's still something that is related to culture and also to age. So, the, the less culture you have, the more you hate and the more you fight against uh, diversity. And also, I discovered personally, unfortunately, that older people are less open to diversity and inclusion, while younger generation, millennials and uh, generation Z, are much more open. So for younger people, the gender is no more a, a, a question. We still have problems related to diversity. And when I mean diversity, it's not only male and female. It's also race is also 
uh, disability and in the wine industry we we see it uh, so i i can give you two examples so in the um, in, and and that's why also before giving the the two example that's why also I'm studying to become a master of wine so I know exactly that Christina Mercuri is uh, Christina Mercuri with or without a title but in this era in this country this title make the difference when you say this country you mean Italy or yeah Italy if especially if you are if you are a woman so. I want to achieve this in order to say, okay, don't look at me and look at my face or my gender. Look at me because of my title. See if I'm really talented or not. Your qualifications, yeah. So do you do much work in the U.S.? A little bit, yes, with the PICS. I, I, I work with PICS for... Tell me about Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I'm doing a selection, so collections of 12 wines. And I promote uh, not only Italian wines, actually. I do select um, this collection based on uh, style or region or what I think is nice to to spread among uh, consumers and among uh, the users of this uh, platform. I think the, the idea behind this platform is quite uh, interesting and uh, it can be a real uh, game changer in, uh, in the next five Yes. Cool. I, I interviewed um, Paul Mabray last year, I think, and um, friends with um, Erica Ducey, who is the editor-in-chief in Felicity, who is also an editor there. Great staff. And I think uh, PIX has really made an impact uh, on the U.S. market and I think is taking a very uh, non-traditional approach to uh, democratizing wine. I like to end my interviews with uh, asking my guests, what, what's the big take of, we've touched on a whole bunch of different topics, have not been able to go into them in depth. But of all that we've talked about, and recognizing that the audience for this is mostly trade, mostly U.S. trade, is there anything we talked about that someone could uh, take from this conversation and put to use immediately? Understanding that uh, the trade in Italy is slowly, but it's changing. Uh, so. Wine education is improving, and um, there are more and more people that are curious and open to try different style and to understand wines. So uh, what I can suggest to the trade is, uh, yes, focus on information, uh, high-quality information. Use technology if you want. Uh, if you are in a trade and you can have the opportunity to put a QR code on your label and uh, uh, send some bottles to, to Italy, do it. Because uh, younger generation are more and more curious about uh, understanding it and going on, uh, on a QR code and scan it and uh, getting from relevant information. They are more and more connected. So uh, Italian people love Instagram, I love social media. So improve your social media presence, uh, invest on a campaign. I think that uh, for the trader now uh, that want to get ready for the Italian wines uh, and maybe also export U.S. wines to Italy, these are information that can be, can be valued. Okay, great. So if somebody wants to contact you, uh, would you like to share your email address if they wanted to reach out to you? 
So I'm very happy to get in contact with uh, the audience and to share some thought and uh, information and maybe also create uh, some uh, networking is very, very useful for me. So the address is uh, info at wine-club.it. Great. Well, um, Christina, thank you for sharing your time with with us today. I really appreciate it. Once again, I really learned a lot from the, the session you gave at Vin Italy, and I look forward to attending some of your sessions in the future and learning a lot more about wine. We've been talking with Christina Mercury of Wine Club, wine-club.it. Thank you for uh, being on the show. Thank you, Steve. It's been a real pleasure to, to spend some time with you and look forward to see you again. Thank you. Yeah, well, I, I, I hope we'll see you in Italy. I'll be there for uh, Wine to Wine and also for in Italy. Fantastic. We hope you enjoyed today's episode brought to you by the Wine to Wine Business Forum 2022. This year will mark the ninth edition of the forum to be held on November 7th and 8th, 2022 in Verona, Italy. Remember, tickets are on sale now. So for more information, please visit us at winetowine.net. I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.